Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. Melissa, how's it going? Hello, I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I am doing good. It's been a crazy busy day, but in a good way. And I also just got access to that app Clubhouse. Have you heard about this? No, I haven't. Okay. (laughs) It's so funny that like, I feel like people who know about it or are on it are like talking about it constantly, but then most people out in the world like have not heard about it. Oh my gosh. I, I have no idea. Okay. So it's... I'll try to explain this well. It's an app and it's audio only. And I feel like it's sort of like listening in to conversations pretty much. Like that's the whole concept. So like you and I right now could go on to Clubhouse and start a room and say like deliverability, we're going to talk about re-engaging subscribers and people can listen in and they can like ask questions. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but there's no video. It's just audio. So that's been kind of fun to play with too today and like see what conversations are happening. But I can't decide yet if it's something I'm going to like spend a lot of time on or not, but I understand why people like it and why people don't do. Interesting. That's it's kind of almost like a live podcast. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's a good way to put it. Huh. And I haven't been in enough rooms yet, but I think like there are some rooms where everyone can talk and then some rooms where like only a couple people can. That might hmm. be totally wrong. I <laughs> I just got it, so I don't know. Well, that's pretty cool. That's I mean, especially if there's things you're interested in following, like interesting. Yeah. I listened to one yesterday and it was like Scooter Braun talking about managing mm-hmm. artists. And I was like, okay, this mm. is kind of interesting. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I can send you an invite, actually. I have two oh, invites. Okay. So there you go. We can start some deliverability conversations. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, that'd be fun. So today, I think the topic is going to be really helpful. I know it's one that you and I get a lot. A lot of people want to know, how do I re-engage subscribers who have become unengaged without hurting my deliverability? Because it is possible Mm -hmm. to try and have the right intentions and re-engage some subscribers, and then in the process, actually damaging your sender reputation. Right. So let's do a real quick recap, just in case someone is listening for the first time. If you are, hello. Hope you come back. Welcome. (laughs) And if you are not sure exactly what deliverability is or how it's determined, essentially we're talking about how to make sure your emails reach the inbox of your subscribers and not the spam folder. And there are lots and lots and lots of things that go into that and whether your messages go to the inbox or spam. But one of the top, most primary ways is through your sending domain's reputation. And uh, Melissa, I feel like you always talk about this well. You say like the reputation is sort of like a credit score. Do you agree? Yes, that's my favorite comparison because I think if you're not a super um, experienced sender and you like haven't, you know, been in the game long enough to see like your, your different data points and stuff, like I think... It's easy to assume like, you know, maybe your ESP has a lot of influence on where your emails are placed or whatever. Like it's it's definitely not something that's easy to understand by just looking from the outside and not, 
either doing your research or, you know, seeing how those data points are like affecting your sending. So the credit score is interesting to me. Like it's a good metaphor because if you've ever experienced like, you know, missing a payment on accident with your credit card or whatever, you can see how like detrimental that can be to your credit. And it can take just one time for something to happen. And then it will take you almost double or triple that time to like get back to where you were before. And that's sometimes how deliverability can be. Yes. I love that analogy. I think it makes it really easy to understand. I would say the only big difference is that luckily with the credit score, you can easily look it up. Like there are lots Mm -hmm. of tools. You can find out your number and act on it. But with your sender reputation, it's pretty much private. There's no way for you to go to a website, type in your domain and find out your true reputation. Although there are tools that say they do that. And the reason is every single mailbox provider for the most part has their own algorithm and their own way of scoring your domain. So Gmail's gonna have their own reputation for you. Microsoft's gonna have their own reputation for you and so on. So there's not like one source of truth. And those mailbox providers typically keep your reputation pretty, you know, private. Although, mm-hmm. you know, Gmail has Google Postmaster tools. And if you were to use that tool, you can see if your domain reputation is bad, low, medium, or high. So there are some things out there that can help give you an indicator, but it is possible to have bad reputation at Gmail mm-hmm. and a great reputation with Microsoft. It's crazy. Yeah, that's a question I see. Like, I would say somewhat frequently that, you know, someone will write in and say, hey, what's my sender reputation score? And, you know, like you said, there are tools out there that might give you like a sender score. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes, you know, those will try to pinpoint certain things and they can maybe give you a benchmark about maybe, you know, certain things to look at. But yeah, definitely not 100% true. Yep, exactly. So... From there, now that we've touched on like how sender reputation is determined, well, we've talked about how deliverability is determined, but if we get into sender reputation a little deeper, you might be wondering, okay, I know what a sender reputation is, but how does Gmail or Microsoft or whoever, how do they determine it? And it's really determined by your subscribers, which is why you should treat them very well and make sure they want to receive your emails because essentially your subscribers are voting with their engagement on Mm -hmm. what your sender reputation should be. So there are positive engagements that your subscribers can take. I like to refer to these as like positive signals that they're sending. Mm -hmm. And then there's negative signals. So some positive signals are, you know, opens and clicks and replies and showing in general that they are engaging and wanting the messages. But some negative signals is like marking the message as spam or never opening it. And that kind of gets into what we're going to talk more about today is how those subscribers who just are not opening your messages, they're not engaging, letting them sit on your list and continuing to email them has major damage to your sender reputation. So it's really important to clean out your list. Something that really helped me kind of visualize all of this uh, was something you said, Alyssa, when you you've touched on this multiple times, but you know, for every sender out there, all of us who are sending emails to not forget that Gmail and Outlook and all these email box platforms, like their customers are their subscribers. So even though you feel like your job as a sender is to promote your product or your content, and it's easy to think about what you need to do to get your message out there, 
ultimately, you're not really the customer. I mean, they're trying to protect those who are receiving tons of emails every day. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure that their customers, you and I also have, you know, a Gmail account, for example, like right. they want to make sure I'm not getting malicious spam and, you know, bad messages. And so I think it's important for all of us to remember that, like, ultimately, it's not like a personal thing, like, oh, you know, Gmail's out to get me. It's like, <laughs> they're actually just trying to protect the subscribers who are on your list. Yeah, exactly. If you kind of step away and get out of the personal side, I know it can be hard to do. And remember that, you know, Gmail is receiving, I think, billions of messages a day. And they obviously can't have a human, like we've talked about, a human looking at the emails and saying like, oh, that email is so cool. I think it looks great. That looks like a nice person. Let's send them to the inbox. Like, It's all algorithms and robots and, you know, not humans. So they have to do whatever they can to figure out where does this message belong And if they send too many emails to the inbox that people don't want in the inbox, those people are going to go to another mailbox provider eventually. You know, if every time you opened your Gmail, you saw unwanted messages in your inbox, you would start to get annoyed with Gmail. So that's part of their product. And if they don't listen to what their users want slash your subscribers, they're going to lose business. So yeah, exactly. I think it is helpful to understand the business motives of mailbox providers and why their filtering works the way it does so that you can make sure that you are adhering to that and giving their users a great experience. And then they'll be happy to place your messages in the inbox. Exactly. Like Alyssa said, it's important to keep your list clean. You do not want to have a bunch of unengaged subscribers sitting on your list. That's actually like a very quick way to you know, lose a good sender reputation with someone like Gmail. If you are consistently emailing people who are not engaging with your emails, it it just doesn't look good. And ultimately, like Alyssa said too, like those positive signals are what you're looking for in order to have better email placement. So even if maybe, you know, let's just say you had like a couple hundred cold subscribers, maybe they're not making a huge impact on your sender reputation, but ultimately your email placement's not going to improve. So even if you're not experiencing like super low open rates or, you know, anything like really detrimental, that's obvious to you. It's not going to help your placement get any better. And ultimately that's what we all want is for, for our emails to end up in the primary inbox that, you know, right there for people to see. Yeah. One thing that I think you have definitely noticed and I've noticed as well, that's hard when working with senders on this issue is that I think it behaves a little bit differently than people would think. So for Mm -hmm. example, if your list is mostly Gmail subscribers, which is a lot of senders these days, there are just thresholds. And it's possible that you've been doing the same thing this whole time. It's like you maybe you haven't cleaned your list in a couple years and your open rate's been steady. Maybe they've been steady around 20%. One day you see that your open rates have dropped to maybe like 15%-ish and you write into us and you know you're very worried and we tell you that you have a large amount of unsubscri- uh, unengaged subscribers and that you should clean your list and we definitely had people say well it wouldn't just drop suddenly like that and it's like oh sometimes it actually does because you have hit some threshold with gmail that they're not going to publicize because if they did spammers would use that information to get around their system but yes like you still should clean up your list and 
it is sad that it just hit you all at once, uh, but that's why we recommend to do this regularly and stay on top of it. This tidbit is gold. Like, I don't <laughs> think we've, I don't think you've ever described it as well as you just did, but. Oh my gosh, I got to write this down. This is a question I get so often, and it's one of the hardest to, I'm not hard to explain, I guess, but it does work differently than people think, because I think if it was more intuitive, we wouldn't have people respond and say, well, I've been doing things like this forever because it is kind of confusing when you don't know. Obviously, like you said, they're not publicizing how it works. Right. And then maybe you recently have collected more subscribers and maybe they're still not engaging. And even just like a small uptick in subscribers and maybe just hitting, you know, sending a few more emails to cold subscribers like that could just especially for a certain amount of days like that could send you over that threshold. This is probably for me one of the most commonly talked about things that I think I talk with customers on like a daily basis about. Yeah, I'm glad we're covering it because I do think this is a, a very common, you know, conversation that needs to happen that most people don't even know is a thing they should worry about when they start email marketing. So it's just really common for people to never touch their list in this way, like never clean it. You know, if people aren't unsubscribing or marking a spam, just letting them sit there for as long as they want. So I really want us to help people understand that this is important and hopefully we can help more people before they run into issues. That's always the goal. Mm -hmm. So if you're a ConvertKit customer, we say a cold subscriber is someone who has not opened an email in 90 days. And so if you go in and you don't even go to your cold subscriber tab and you just start randomly clicking through subscribers, sometimes that they will not have crossed that threshold yet. Maybe they're at 40 days or maybe they're at 60 days or, you know, whatever it is. So they won't be tagged as a cold subscriber. But if you go in and look, you can see what kind of engagement they have. And maybe they opened the first email and they've received 20 emails since then and they haven't opened any of them. I almost think that sometimes just doing that can be really helpful. And obviously, if you have a huge list, it's you're not going to go through every subscriber. But sometimes it's just helpful to see like, okay, what, what did people initially open? Mm -hmm. And why are they maybe start questioning why are they not opening emails now? Obviously, we're going to talk about how to re-engage those people without, you know, putting your reputation at risk. But I think starting there can actually be really helpful because people will say, well, I don't have that many cold subscribers yet, but they're not looking to see what kind of engagement they're actually getting mm -hmm. before they reach that threshold of having cold subscribers. Yes. I love that advice so much. And I think it's something people don't do often, but it really can highlight a lot of things to you. It's something that I like to do whenever we do deliverability audits for people. And it's crazy how often I'll click on a few subscribers and I'm like, did you know that you're sending four emails every day <laughs> to the same people? Yeah. And they're like, no, I didn't realize that this sequence and this automation and, you know, we're like overlapping. And I'm like, that's why mm -hmm. you have a high complaint rate or people are not engaging because you are bombarding them or whatever it may be. Or maybe, you know, after digging in, you see like, man, people opened this email when I emailed about this topic. And since mm -hmm. then, I haven't really touched on that. And now they're not opening or, you know, whatever it may be. So I love that idea of just clicking in 
to a few random subscribers and trying to like step into their shoes mm-hmm. and see what they're experiencing and understanding why they aren't engaging or why they are. Right. And I actually kind of experienced this issue a little bit just today. I saw someone was asking about why their unsubscribe rate was so high. And I did just that. And I went in and looked at a few of their subscribers and they were receiving four to five emails within like two days. And I think that probably happens a lot too, maybe initially because people do, they have an incentive email and then they will have a sequence that will start that's triggered by that person signing up to a form. And then on top of that, they'll send out a broadcast to their whole list And I just don't think people always, especially if you have a lot of subscribers, um, it can be a little overwhelming to like segment and tag and like make sure everything's, you know, set up correctly. But it was very clear in that particular situation that people were probably feeling bombarded by emails from that person. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That's such a good example. And like we were saying, imagine you're the subscriber because from the sender point of view, it's like by the book you're almost doing everything perfectly. Like you, it's great to send an incentive email. It's wonderful mm-hmm. to have a welcome sequence, something we definitely encourage. And it's mm-hmm. great to, you know, send broadcasts and engage with your list. But if you think like a subscriber and you just sign up to someone's list, you know, excited about what they have to offer and you get, you know, three or four emails in the first 48 hours, you're going to be like, I regret this decision. Yeah. Unsubscribe immediately. And times that by like five, let's just say you sign up to five different lists that day. Like, times that by five people, you know, you're getting like 15 emails plus like for a day. So way too much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that. So that's a great way to figure out, okay, maybe I need to, you know, exclude people from broadcasts if they're still in the welcome sequence or, you know, things like that. So definitely recommend an audit, but we can jump into our kind of like four areas that we recommend you focus on when you are creating a good re-engagement campaign that won't damage your deliverability. So we'll talk about having the right content in those re-engagement emails, having the right number of emails, not re-engaging a large group at once, and then making sure to re-engage often. <laughs> okay, so are we starting to go into the re-engagement campaign? Yeah, let's talk about the kind of content that works well when you are deciding to re-engage your audience. So if you're using ConvertKit, you're probably going to just be re-engaging your cold subscribers. That makes it really easy. If you're on the pro plan, you can use subscriber scoring, which is my absolute favorite. Hmm. So then you can get really customized. Uh, Maybe you want to start off small. You can say, I only want to re-engage people who have a one-star rating, which... I believe means they haven't opened in like a year and a half. Oh, okay. And then from the, you know, you can get as custom as you want. Maybe you want to get really aggressive and you can say, I want to re-engage everyone between one to three stars. And that's, you know, getting more and more people re-engaged. So anyways, those are two really great ways to re-engage people using ConvertKit. So if you're about to get started, yeah, let's talk about content because that's pretty much the most compelling way to get people to re-engage. Your goal is that you're going to send one, I would say one to three, which we'll talk more about, emails and try to get those people who have not opened any of your messages in a long time to open and to get interested again. And the interesting thing about this is I think what's going to work is going to be really different for each sender, depending on who you are and what your subscribers are looking for. So uh, one thing that we actually talked about last week (laughs) that I've thought about a lot since then was the whole cleaning thing. 
the Go Clean Co. Mm-hmm. Uh, Instagram. Anyways, they need to sponsor this podcast. I know. I, <laughs> I'm such a loyal follower. You know, and just talking about different kinds of content, like really thinking about what's valuable for people who might not be opening as many emails. And people, I think that's something else that actually is kind of important to talk about. Like people don't just not open emails because they're not interested, but there are a lot of different reasons why people don't open emails. And we like tend to just kind of assume that people have like lost interest and that's not always the case. Like sometimes you just get busy with your life and you're not thinking about opening emails until maybe an offer comes along that you can't pass up. And I do think it's important for people for especially, you know, senders to remember that sometimes someone just needs a little bit of an incentive in order to get like reacquainted with your emails again. I mean, that works for me every time. Just send me a 15% off coupon and I will just start opening all your mail. (laughs) I love it. And I think that gets to the heart of how to figure out the type of content you need to send. And it's to really think about your audience. Like, why did they sign up in the first place? Mm -hmm. So I know you've talked about your love of shopping and it's like for one of your favorite stores, if they were going through this process, they need to think, why does this person sign up for my list? Let's be honest. No one is signing up for a list for a shoe store to be inspired (laughs) or learn. Yeah. Like, it's just not what you're looking for. You signed up for promotions and discounts and like finding out when new product is available, things like that. So you should lean into that and give your subscribers more of that because that's probably what they want. For someone like, let's say like an influential author, let's say people love them and they're like thought leadership. Let's just say there's an author you love, you love their work, and you just like to hear them and their thoughts and you love to hear what they're up to and like what they're thinking about right now. Them sending you a 10% off discount for a book that you probably already own, you know, maybe they don't know, might not do it for you, but them sending a thoughtful like letter that is like, here's what I'm thinking about right now that's kind of, you know, related to whatever content they usually write about, that is probably going to make their readers, their subscribers become more engaged because they're like, oh, I love this writer. I want to read what they're writing. That's great. And they probably don't care as much about like, here's a 10% discount kind of thing. Exactly. And I I think also we underestimate the power of like a question too. Mm -hmm. I actually have a, a good friend slash mentor of mine who has always really been interested in learning about the power of questions. And it is super interesting. She actually has her, again, without dropping names or whatever, she has her own book that is kind of all about this. And, you know, going back to those positive engagement pieces that we were talking about earlier, like asking your subscribers a question that really makes them want to answer, like, A lot of this is kind of difficult sometimes because everybody's busy and everybody has things they're focusing on. Like, you know, especially as a sender, you're probably focusing on your business and maybe you have like actual products or like you're saying, maybe you're an author and you're trying to sell a book. But I think people who ask the right questions can not only maybe get information about their business they wouldn't have received before, but then they're also getting those positive engagement pieces that they need in order to have a better sender reputation. So overall, it's just a good practice. Yeah, I love that. That's such a good idea. And 
this just makes me wonder, maybe I'm asking a question now. I'm so inspired about questions, but I've seen some people ask questions like, what do you want to see from me? Like very open-ended. And I've seen that sometimes rub people the wrong way. Cause it's like, do you want me to do your job for you? Like I'm not a content creator, you know? So I think Mm -hmm. if you are going to ask a question, maybe don't have it so open-ended where it's just like, what do you want from me? But more like, here's what I'm thinking about, you know, this or this and like a more focused question. Like, what are your feelings on this topic? Exactly. Or like, what's something that inspires you to do this or yeah, yeah, something that makes people feel like they're involved in the conversation. I've also seen people like creators or like influencers say like, what do you want to see from me? And it's like, I have about 5 million things to do every (laughs) single day. I am not sitting around thinking about what I want from, yeah, what I want from you as a creator. Like I'm looking for you to inspire my thoughts and I don't know what I want from you. (laughs) Exactly. Like I'm following you. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm not going to consult you, but like you were saying, like it is fun for people you follow, content creators to ask questions and for you to get involved in that way. So I think there is a right way to do it. Just not so (laughs) open-ended. Right. Yeah. I definitely think that sometimes they'll share other people's responses. And when the question is related to something I'm interested in, like I really enjoy seeing those responses. So I think that those are like ways that I think people underestimate how to like provide value to people. I love that. And that is really making your subscribers feel like they're part of a community or part of, you know, a relationship with you, which is so important and so helpful, especially right now. I just think everybody's looking for a community. So if you can foster that uh, within your email list, that's wonderful and a great way to get people back and engaged. A few other ideas, if you're looking for ways to re-engage people, is to maybe make some content available to those unengaged subscribers that's typically paid and, you know, for a limited time, allow them to access it for free or maybe provide a free course for them. If you are someone who teaches something or have any other sort of like resources, I think providing free resources that are typically not free, is a great way to get people back engaged and to feel good about your content. Yeah. Those have definitely brought me back before when I've received emails, like, Hey, like access my presets for free for 24 hours or whatever. And I mean, those kinds of things are nice too, because then you don't feel like you're constantly just like a sale to someone. Right. You know, you don't have to do it all the time. Like people appreciate that every once in a while. So I think those are also like, they work really well. Yeah. And I love what you just said about, you know, not just feeling like a sale. And I think it wraps back into what we were saying earlier of like, for some brands or companies, it's so like, you know, that you're just a sale to them and that's okay. Again, if there is anyone listening that like works for a large retailer, you know, something like that, where your customers aren't looking for a personal relationship with you. Like I'm not looking right. for a personal feeling with target. Like I just want to buy stuff from them. Yeah. So knowing the difference, like if you are a business, that's more like that people don't want that personal relationship, send them all the discount codes and promo codes. That's what they're looking for. They just want to buy stuff. But if you are more of like a content creator, you are a brand kind of thing and people want community and relationship and um, want that personal vibe from you, then I say lean into like the, like you were saying, a good question or a Mm -hmm. thoughtful letter that feels really personal or offering like free content. I think that's super helpful. One thing I want to mention of what not to do because 
I don't think anyone listening to this podcast would do this, but just in case, the goal with the re-engagement campaign is obviously for people to become re-engaged. So some people hear that and think, oh, so I just need to do whatever I can to get them to open. Let's make the subject line re your order number 2357 or, you know, like attention. Yes, attention or like your subscription or your receipt. Everyone hates that. Do not do that. That's not a good way to build trust with your audience. It's probably just going to cause a lot of people to market as spam. It's never a good idea. If your goal is simply just to get people to open it, then sure, you've probably met that goal, but you've also made a lot of people mad and tricked them. So don't do that. Yeah, definitely not. I don't know if this necessarily falls within the same. It's just something that I feel like I have seen other people do. And it's a little bit different because I feel like normally they do like giveaways on the like social media platforms and then they'll email you about it later. But also giveaways or anything like that sometimes sound like a good idea, but they ultimately just lead to people being interested for the giveaway and not usually interested for content. So, I mean, this doesn't necessarily fall within this because normally people aren't doing the giveaway within like their emails necessarily. Mm -hmm. They're doing it like on their social media platform. But I just felt like that was kind of important because I have seen that before and they're just not the best way to get people engaged. It's short-term engagement. Yeah, like getting people to re-engage by doing absolutely anything you can. So you're like, mm-hmm. here's, you know, you can sign up to win a $500 Amazon gift card. Like, please open my email. That might get you some short-term, like you said, opens and people might sign up for that $500 gift card. But the second that's over, they're going to go right back to unengaged and they're just not high value subscribers. So I love that. Mm-hmm. I think making sure that whatever you're doing to get people to re-engage is actually on brand for you. And it's consistent with the type of content they're going to receive from you. It shouldn't be gimmicky or like a, you know, trying to do everything you can to save them sort of thing. Exactly. Totally agree. Cool. So I think next when building a re-engagement campaign is deciding how many attempts to re-engage someone before finally sending that email that says, do you still want to be on my list? And eventually, you know, letting them go if they don't want to be on your list. This just reminds me of like cleaning out my closet. Like (laughs) I, I, I literally feel like I ask myself three times, like, well, not all at once, but I'll be like, okay, I don't really wear this that often, but I'm going to keep it for another month. And then I'll, I'll like look at it again. And I'm like, okay, have you worn it? No, I'll keep it for one more month. And then it's like the third time I'm like, okay, I, it's time to right. say goodbye. And honestly, I feel like the more you, like, you don't ever want to necessarily like get rid of good subscribers, you know, or people who might be able to get engaged again, but also something that I think and I've said this, I don't know how many times I've said this, but one of the best things I've ever learned at ConvertKit in general was people who are very successful, the number of subscribers you think they have are not always like hundreds of thousands. Like some of the most profitable people have lower numbers of subscribers and smaller lists. And it's because they are so engaged that their subscribers are buying whatever it is they're selling, because it's it's typically more personal and they have it down to a science. And so like, I think that's a, a tough lesson for people as like human beings. I feel like we just focus on higher numbers for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. 
And it's hard when you have a list that you feel like you've worked so hard to build and you have to cut some of those people out. But I think the more you do it and the smaller, like more targeted lists you keep, the more you realize like how much further that can go. Yes, that is such an important point and something I hope we're moving in the right direction with. And I know something you and I are always trying to push, which is like Mm -hmm. measure the right things And sometimes the metrics you see whenever you log into your ESP, whatever ESP you're using, sometimes the things highlighted are not necessarily what you should focus on. And it's so hard, like our human nature is that you want to see a large number of email Mm -hmm. subscribers or followers or YouTube subscribers or whatever it is. Like you want to see those numbers get bigger and bigger. We all do. But uh, when it comes to your actual success and what your emails can do for you, the larger the number, it doesn't really mean what you might think it means, mm-hmm. depending on how engaged your subscribers are. So many words. But yeah, I love that point. And I totally agree. I remember being shocked when I first joined ConvertKit and got to know the creators and learn more about their businesses and seeing what some people are able to do with such a tight, well-kept list that's maybe on the lower side. Maybe like, I mean, low is of course like, depends on who you're talking to, but maybe like 10,000 subscribers Mm -hmm. when you would think they would have to have like 100,000 subscribers to do what they're doing, but they don't because people on their list feel a relationship. They are very engaged. They're like really high value subscribers. So Mm -hmm. exactly. I just love the cleaning out the closet analogy. I don't know if you know this. I'm sure our listeners definitely don't know this, but my office is like halfway my closet and also my office. So like I'm staring at a rack of clothes and they kind of haunt me. Like just looking at them right now, there's so much I need to get rid of. So I need to practice what we preach on here. (laughs) So, and I guess the reason I thought of this was because I think our, like, if you want to do a re-engagement campaign, I think the one that you can copy off of our help document is... I think it like sets up for three Mm -hmm. emails, doesn't it? I believe so. Like people have asked, like, do I have to use three emails or can I just do one? I think three like can be a great number for some people. But I also like I the more I like move in my life and the more I like have to get rid of things, the more I'm like, you know, I don't want to keep doing this. And I'm just going to like, you know, cut things out now when they're not helping me. So I feel like it kind of goes the same way with subscribers at times, because honestly too, like I have left a a list before and I have gone back later and resubscribed to that list when I felt like I had an interest in that topic again, or like had more time to dedicate to learning about it. So it's also not like once those people, like once you remove those people from your list, they can't ever come back because they can. Right. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. I think the number of emails really just depends on your list, your brand, your content. Like, do you actually have uh, a way to add value for three emails in a row? Exactly. If you do, go ahead and, you know, see how it works. But I definitely wouldn't do more than three. And I would always have the last email be, you know, that final, like, do you want to stay on my list sort of email? Obviously you can change the copy to match your branding. And then you should have a button that says, do you want to stay on my list kind of thing? And if they click yes, like confirm, I want to stay on your list, then they should stay on the list. But anyone who doesn't click that button needs to be removed. I would say within seven days at the most, like after that, 
you definitely should remove those people because that's really the same thing as an unsubscribe, pretty much. They didn't click to confirm. You gave them another chance. It's time to let those people go. I know how hard it can be, but... Cut the cord. Yeah, it's time. It's time. Yeah. (laughs) Get it out of your closet. You're not going to wear it. Exactly. Time to let them go. It's time. Number three, I think this really speaks to a big thing that we get asked a lot. So don't re-engage your large group of unengaged subscribers at once. So if you have a bunch of subscribers who are unengaged, we sadly see this time after time where someone will um, not clean their list for like a year or more, and then like half their list is now unengaged. And so they need to really let go of a large group of people or at least try to re-engage them. And if you are sending a re-engagement email, it means you're only emailing unengaged subscribers. Mm -hmm. So if you think about what we talked about earlier in the episode, that means you're sending a bunch of negative signals all at once to mailbox providers. So if you don't do the re-engagement campaign right, it can actually damage your deliverability while you're trying to clean up things. So no one wants that. So I highly recommend if you have a large amount of unengaged subscribers, if it makes up a large chunk of your list, then do that re-engagement campaign in smaller batches Mm -hmm. and make sure to send emails to your engaged subscribers at like around the same time or sort of in between the sends to help offset the negative signals that you're sending. Yeah, I've seen people who will have like 50,000 cold subscribers and they will send just that group, you know, three emails and their open rates are like, you know, 3% or something. And Also, something that like actually I I haven't really thought about too much before until we've been talking about this would be if you had a list that large, I would assume that like of those 50,000 people, if you've been tagging and segmenting your list properly, like you might want to actually have a couple different re-engagement campaigns specific to what those subscribers all have as far as like tags go, Mm -hmm. their interests or whatever. And not just send like, again, because we're trying to add value, like don't send a generic, just like, do you want to stay on my list? So that would also help so that you wouldn't have to send, you know, emails all at once to the whole list. Like you could use those interests to separate things out. Yeah. So smart. As much as you can personalize and make something targeted for someone, the better off you're going to be. So to kind of go off that, our fourth point is to re-engage often. So you won't be put in that sort of situation if you are re-engaging your list pretty often. And that way you're just kind of cleaning up things as you go, hopefully just cleaning up smaller groups of people, and it'll help keep your list clean year round. It's sort of like doing maintenance to your car or getting your house cleaned or whatever it may be. Your email list also needs some upkeep and just getting a deep clean on your house once every five years is not going to keep your house clean. So you've got to make sure to go in there. I like to say every three months if you can, and just go ahead and send that re-engagement campaign to whoever is cold at the moment or unengaged and let it run and hopefully do the work for you. Cool. I feel like we've hit on most of what people would need to know. So just, I would say the biggest things are Take a step back, think about the content, make sure it provides value. Don't send more than three re-engagement emails, like know when it's time to let people go. Don't re-engage a large group of unengaged subscribers at once, or you might actually do more damage, which is not good. So make that re-engagement campaign happen in smaller batches if you need to. 
and make sure to cushion it with sends to your engaged audience around the same time. And then make sure to re-engage your list about every three months if you can to keep things nice and healthy and to not have to, you know, clean out half your list. Exactly. And if you're focusing on content and questions and really trying to bring value to your subscribers initially, I feel like you would probably avoid and hopefully prevent a lot of cold subscribers from coming along happening or whatever. So I think like, even though this was to explain about how to re-engage in a successful way, like a lot of that beginning information could be to even have to avoid, like you were saying, you know, having half of your list be cold. Yep. That's never fun. It's always so sad. It is. Okay. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I feel like this was a long one, but hopefully full of helpful information. And if it wasn't, or if, you know, there's something else you want us to talk about, go to convertkit.com slash deliverability. And there's a form there where you can send us a question or topic or whatever you want, and we can make sure to cover it in a future episode. Yeah. We love to hear what people have to say and questions like we've talked about this whole episode. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't think we've asked for reviews yet this season. So if you want to give us a review in Apple Podcasts, that's always really fun. It makes our day and it helps people find our podcast easier. I think we have like 11 reviews right now, which Ooh. I know we have more listeners than that, but yeah, not bad. So if y'all would go show us some love there, we would be really happy about that. Awesome. Well, and we will be back next week. Next week, we are going to talk about email marketing for authors. Awesome. Can't wait. Yes. All right. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability, where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.